You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, church. How we doing? It's good to see everybody. I know it's a little heavy in the room. That's last song. Gosh, I was trying not to cry the entire time. Um, but amen. You know, the Spirit's working right now in our hearts. Um, that being said, if you have not already dropped off your child at Kids Kingdom, please do so now. Um, exciting. You know, exciting stuff that we're going through. Um, before I get in, however, I, I just want to pray real quick. You know, there's different things going on. I know we mentioned, uh, you know, some recent passings. Uh, I'm thinking about Lebanon. They have an economic crisis over there, and we have brothers and sisters over there. They're trying to figure out how to refrigerate their food. Um, my wife has a cousin in Haiti that is currently missing uh, because of the earthquake. So I just want to pray real quick. I feel like I need to do that before we get in lesson. And then we're getting some great stuff uh, in the book of Matthew, continuing our series entitled God With Us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, God. You are, man, even especially in, God, the most difficult times you're with us. You're a God of all comfort. You're a God of all peace. Father, you give us an overwhelming sense of, of, of love and joy in times where maybe we shouldn't even feel it. We think we shouldn't. God, we, we thank you that you are our rock, our refuge, our strength, our song. God, and, and you we can turn to in any and every situation, Father. As we worship you this morning, God, as we get into the sermon, uh, we, we pray, God, for that comfort. We pray for that peace. Uh, pray for situations, God, in Lebanon. God, I pray for... Uh, my wife's cousin in Haiti and for all the Haitian people right now, situations where we're, we're tempted uh, to doubt through the hurt. Help us, God, to trust in you all the more during those times, God, that we can see your miracles in the darkest of moments and through those times, God, that they can define our faith, define our walk with you in some of the most beautiful of ways, God. Thank you for this opportunity to get in your word. Help us to have attended and open hearts this morning, God, that whatever we're feeling, Lord, that for this moment, we can allow a seed to be planted in our hearts, a seed that grows to fruition and bears much fruit. We love you, God. We thank you for this time. Thank you for every single person here, God. Praise to your son's most holy and perfect name. Amen. 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 So we're continuing this Book of Matthew series, some really exciting stuff. Um, you know, it's, we went through chapters one through three and this notion of, of uh, Jesus being born. Normally, you only cover that during Christmas time, but we, we went for it in summer. <laughs> Amen, right? Um, we're setting a president here. Uh, four through seven, we, we see this, this notion of Jesus announcing this kingdom. So let me get this slide right here. A little overwhelming, yes? There's some great information there. If you haven't, we've been kind of plugging Bible, pro, uh, Bible Project probably about every, at least every week since we started this. Take a gander. some great um, uh, narratives there. This is a scholarly narrative of the book of Matthew in an actual illustrated form. Um, so one three three, you can actually see somewhat in the middle off to the left at the top of this block and connecting Jesus to the Old Testament, how Jesus fulfills all these Old Testament prophecies. Four through seven, as we mentioned last week, uh, God through Brian did an excellent job. Uh, kudos to that one. Uh, we can see Jesus announcing this new kingdom, talking about the Beatitudes, uh, the attitude that we must have to accept and be a part of this new kingdom. And then Jesus goes into all these different types of teachings. I mean, he brings the thunder, so to speak. I'm just going to read off a couple of things that he mentions when it comes to being a part of this new kingdom. He mentions this idea that we're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He touches on murder, not just talking about killing somebody, but the anger in your heart, adultery, not just the fact of committing the act, but inside your heart, lusting after a woman. Goes through divorce, oaths, eye for an eye, love for enemies, doing uh, righteous deeds and acts of, uh, in secret. Do not worry, judging others. Ask, seek, knock. 
narrow and wide gates. True and false prophets are disciples and wise and foolish builders. Ushering in this idea of this new king and this upside-down kingdom. And I think in many respects, if we're honest, we all want a sense of community. Yes? We all, as much as we want to be independent and do our own thing and make our own decisions, we want someone in authority. We want to know that it's all going to be okay. And Jesus brings this new kingdom under his authority. In chapter 8, and we're going to cover in 8 through 10, we can see this kingdom. We're going away from simply just the lessons and the stories being taught in Matthew 5 through 7 and very much into real live stories. The kingdom being brought to people. And you can see some of the ones that he touches on. And in between each of these stories, you'll see this aspect of him saying, come, follow me. And you have some kind of difficult or tough teaching, but it's you know, part of the process in accepting the kingdom of God. We're going to tackle one of these stories in particular today. Um, I can't do this justice. There's just so much good stuff. You know what I mean? You kind of just have to, okay, we're going to pick this one. Truth is, I love to go through all of them. Let's have a seven-hour service and see who lasts. We get down about five people like, oh, you can do it, Rhett. <laughs> Everyone else is at lunch or watching football or something, you know. So, so amen. So we're going to touch on some of these stories today. Um, there's an important, important point, I should say, to, to note if you're a, a Bama podcast fan. I think many of you are, yes? Yeah, absolutely. This, this notion of the outsider, you see it time and time again in these stories. Uh, the Mamzer and Mumzer, if, if you were a, an Israelite or a Jewish woman, and you, let's say you, you slept with someone that was not and you had this illegitimate child, this, this non-Jewish or this half-breed kid, there's this notion of being a mumser, that you're, that you're an outsider. You're not part of the Jewish lineage. And Matthew very much touches on this spirit, not necessarily the technical term, but very much the romanticized outsider perspective. You see it in his life, and you see it in all these stories that we note in the book of Matthew as well. This kingdom is available to everyone. So many that would think they, they're, they're already in, I'm good, I know all the teachings, I'm following the Torah, I'm doing all my religious rites. Truth be told, they would be on the outside. And those that would be considered the dregs of society, those that you would want to associate with because they're unclean, I can't be next to you, you're going to mess up my ceremonial cleanliness, and I can't worship in the synagogue or, or the temple, so i got to stay away from you. Those are the ones that are part of the kingdom. Interesting. Title for today, Kingdom in Action. Kingdom in action. Some good stories, right? So I mentioned some of these. I'm going to touch on them real briefly. You see a, a leper, right? A leper who is on the outskirts. You can't be around your family. You can't work. You have to beg for food. Uh, a centurion. A centurion is a Roman soldier in charge of multiple troops. Uh, he is described as having some of the greatest faith in Israel. A non-Jewish person. You have a paralyzed individual. blind men, a, a demon-possessed man, a bleeding woman for, for 12 years, she's bleeding. She's like, if I just touch the cloak of Jesus, I can be healed. For those 12 years, likely couldn't worship. She wouldn't be at church, but had this amazing faith. Story upon story, again, you see this outsider perspective. God, Jesus, reaching in to the lives of individuals who have been ignored, who are on the outskirts. Matthew 9 we're going to go into read a little bit of the con of Matthew. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 9 as well. I'll let you turn there in your phones briefly. Does anyone still have a Bible that's, that's below 40? I said below 40. <laughs> Shots fired. Bang, bang. Right? I know. That's messed up, I know. I have a Bible. I read it. I'm 38. 
By the way, I did have a birthday this week, so amen. Plug for that. <laughs> amen. I'm trying to make that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Verse 9 says in chapter 9, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Phenomenal stories. It's, you know, look through different Gospels. It doesn't give you too much as far as Matthew's understanding about Jesus prior. But suffice to say, Jesus was teaching by a lake. If you look in the book of Mark, he comes to, Jesus, uh, comes to Matthew's uh, tax booth, I should say, and he says, come follow me. How's Matthew doing financially at this point? Quite well. It even says after, you know, he says, okay, I'll go follow you. He throws a big banquet for Jesus. So if he's throwing a big banquet with a bunch of friends, he's got a little bit of cash on hand, right? Maybe even skimming off the top. He's a tax collector. He's taking from his Jewish people and giving it to the Roman Empire for the, the city, the Roman city state of Judea. So he's making money off his own people. He's hated by his own people. He's essentially forsaking his Jewishness for some profit, for some cheddar, for some cash, for some scrilla, whatever you want to say. Suffice to say, he's doing well. But at this moment, at this exact moment when Jesus says, come follow me, he gets up. He leaves his livelihood, knowing that this is going to be a game changer. And he says, okay, here we go. Jesus, come to my house. I want to feed you. When Jesus gets there, he's around individuals, maybe you call a little, I don't know, impetuous, seedy, whatever you want to say. They, they, they like to party. They like to drink. Maybe they're immoral. It may be a little, may be a little shady. I heard the shady out there in the audience. They like to have a good time. If I'm being honest, I, that is my sin. You know, there's different proverbs that talk about certain personalities, like there's a merchant, and I would fall under the category of a fool. This, this, you know, I already know that, Red. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> but just, you like to have fun. And so Jesus around these people that are probably the wine is flowing freely, right? And in there, the Pharisees see this, and they're like, what are you doing hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners? And it makes me think, and this is my whole kind of like, Christian exposition, how often we can be in a situation where around our little bubble so much. Pharisees are in their little world so much. And is it, is it bad to be around Christians? No, it's obviously a great thing. If we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, if we are these living stones, as we come together as living stones, we build this whole temple. So yes, it is great to be together, seeing pieces of God in someone else's life and imitating that. The loving bonds that we can build, 100%. But there's this aspect of Christianity that I think is easy to miss. It's Jesus' willingness to hang out, to associate, to be around people who are nothing like him. The Son of God, worshipped before the creation of the world with all the angels, hangs out with individuals who can't remotely relate to who he is. Not even a little bit. And when he's around them, he says something like this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's what he tells the Pharisees. Go and learn what this means. 
I have not, I don't, I don't desire uh, this, this sacrifice, this, this simply just this pious action. It's good to have pious actions. It's good for, as a Pharisee, to give a tenth of your mint and cumin and, and to have prayers and, and to, to orate uh, these religious rites and such. These are good things. But what happens when we don't have mercy? What happens when we don't have a heart that looks out and sees the needs? And this is an important point that comes up. In verse 35, we're getting to this kingdom heart. Jesus says this. He went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's a question for you guys. What do you see when you look at people? What do you see? This week, um, I had the, you know, I guess, privilege, I guess you could say, I got to go to a, a tennis club. It's a nice, nice spot in West End uh, with, a, with a friend who has a longtime member, friends are member for like 30 years. And we had a quick workout, um, went to the, the hot tub to kind of wind down. I was actually about to leave. He's like, hey, come. Come to the hot tub. You know, just relax for a little bit and get your muscles loose. Like, okay, what the heck? Why not? I got, I got 10 minutes. I go there. Start having this discussion. Him and I are talking about his studies and how he's doing with his Bible studies and getting into just opening your life up, right? The closer, the closer you want to get to God, the more you got to talk about sin or deal with sin. And so we're having this great discourse. In the middle of that, there's a gentleman sitting next to us. He's kind of just listening, you know, a little bit. Didn't know he was. And then all of a sudden, kind of unsolicited, he starts sharing about his life. He starts talking about how the past 18 months have been some of the most difficult months for him. And mind you, this is, a, this is like at a high-end tennis club. So you're, you're thinking everyone there is doing well financially and kind of has a sense of bravado and doing great in life, you know, all that, that front, that thin veneer that we like to put up as people. He just belts it all out. Uh, I, and I didn't ask him one question. He starts talking about his prescription medications that he's taken, like five or six or seven of them, because he feels all this anxiety and stress and worry and doubt, uh, the crazy thoughts he's having. You know, it, it was just like, oh my gosh, this guy is divulging his entire life. And how many people are in this situation right now because of the past 18 months? They're, they're going through financial struggles that they never had previously. They're going through mental health issues that they didn't even know they could even possess. They're hurting. What do you see when you look at people? Do you see their clothes? And that's it. Do you see your faces? And that's it. Do you see their cars and that's it? Do you see their houses? Do you see all their possessions? Do you see all the physical, all the temporal, and then miss what is inside? Jesus had such an impact because he could see through someone. Why? Because not simply just because he was God, because he took the time to look. He took the time to look at the heart and he saw someone that was in need. What do you see when you look out in the world? After these stories in, in, in chapters 8 and 9, in, in, in fitting rabbi fashion, Jesus, after showing his disciples time and time again, this is what it looks like to bring the kingdom to people. I'm going to elicit change. Yes, I'm going to heal them. Yes, they're going to have miraculous physical changes. But at the same time, the hearts are going to change. They're going to have a metanoia. They're going to shift. So you've seen this now, right? Okay. All right. Let's go to chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
These 12 Jesus sent out in verse 5, skip a couple verses, sent out with the following instructions. Do not go amongst the Gentiles or into any town of the Samaritans. Samaritans are half Jews. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So this is an exciting moment, right? It's now my time to go out. Okay, two by two, I've been following Jesus, I've been watching Jesus, I've been seeing this example, now it's time to go. There's some practicals that come up, but I have to ask this question for all of us in this room. Do we feel like at this exact moment, if you're on live stream, do you feel like at this exact moment that you've been sent? People that are on a mission are different. Generally speaking, they're highly misunderstood. Because they have this passion that permeates through every aspect of their life. It's this razor-sharp focus that they care about one thing with so singularity, almost to their, you know, not destruction, but you know, it's a strength and weakness, if you will, right? We have to feel like this morning God is sending us. We're not just coming to church. We're not just simply worshiping, which is great. But every single day that we live, we have this purpose, this ambassadors for Christ, this calling, if you will. That does not just apply simply to those in Matthew 10, but to everyone here. There's some great practicals that come with that, right? Matthew 10, verse 11, it says, Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter their home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome or listen to your words, leave them, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. It's interesting because I'm getting ready for a trip. What do you bring if you're going to go on vacation? Someone raise your hand, say something. Clothes. Clothes. What else? Toothbrush, great. Sunblock, Sunblock yes. <laughs> not everyone tans well. What else? Passport, you, if you, especially if you're going international, bring your passport. Good luck with that. Oh, hey, 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 hey. Now, now we're getting political. <laughs> Suffice to say, there's some semblance of plan, yes? yes? You get prepared. You get ready. Jesus is like, you know what? Just go to their house. <laughs> Literally, hey, just go, and it's going to be based off the hospitality of people that your needs are going to be met. That's an interesting point, Right? Because what would happen if you had, let's say they bought a tent. Let's say they had all their stuff with them, so to speak, and there, there was a sense of comfort. They could retreat amongst themselves. From two by two, I could just be with you if we have all that we need. But guess what? You don't have anything you need. So there's this aspect of opening up your life in such a way that in some cases may make you dependent on someone else. But in this situation, they definitely had to rely on other people. Letting your life, opening up your life, opening up your schedule is impractical for us because through that, we can see the Holy Spirit work. What happens when our schedule is so jam-packed, we're so set with everything we have to do, and we're thinking, you know what, this is all for God. I'm doing God's work, but then God's trying to like fit in there, and sometimes he'll cancel something, or sometimes he's trying to get rid of something because there's no room for his work. But in this situation, Jesus sets them up in this and say, you know what? It's going to be completely, going to your next point, let the Spirit lead. 
because they don't have that which they need for the journey. In verse 19 it says, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking to you. How many of us have been in a situation where you didn't know what to say and you felt like God gave you the exact words? There's these moments. If you repent, you get baptized, you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's waiting to work, right? It can't wait to be in a situation where someone has a question, someone has a concern, someone has a challenge, and then all we do in that moment oftentimes when we don't know what to say, we pray. In that moment when we pray, the exact words, not our words, words that come from the Holy Spirit, tell that person exactly what they need to hear and usually at the same time convict us. I remember some situations distinctly. I remember being, gosh, this was like three months old as a Christian in college. And I had this discussion. I like to have discussions with people. So I literally walk around campus and just talk to people about God, invite them out to church. And, and God would put me in these situations like time and time again with individuals whose intellect and whose, let's just say, academic prowess, they put in the scholarly work. I had not. And so we'd have this back and forth about God, me being horribly unprepared and them having coming from a place of a solid knowledge base. They're, they're itching for this fight. They're ready to have this discussion. And I, I walk in like this unsuspecting, you know, like a bird into a trap, or, you know, like <laughs> not ready. Remember one in particular had this talk, and this individual's going back and forth and telling me about what baptism really means and what my faith really should be, and he's using all these scriptures. Three months old as a Christian, I knew one verse. I knew one verse in John. I think this is exactly what I said. It was like John 13, something about like Jesus loving the way like Jesus loved. And, you know, if we love like Jesus, then we're his disciples. I even try to think, I think I even try to say like, the truth will set you free. I'm like, that's the wrong chapter, right? <laughs> but I brought this up after I prayed because as I was being demolished for about 20 minutes in an argument, <laughs> the individual the entire time was condescending. He was. He was disrespectful, patronizing, whatever word you want to use. And so I used that John 13 after praying for 30 seconds about to cry. <laughs> and he, you know what he said? He's like, oh, my God, because this entire time, I wasn't respectful to you. So as I'm telling him, you know what? I hear your message. It's a great message, right? Fantastic points, difficult for me to refute my limited knowledge, limited knowledge base. However, when I see Christians, I think of the love of Jesus. So if you're not exhibiting the love of Jesus and you're basically telling me off in discussion, why would I listen to anything you're saying? His jaw dropped. He had nothing to say. I knew in that moment that was not me. That was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say as long as we're willing to put ourselves in situations and allow the Holy Spirit to work. Amen? Practical number three, fear God. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head, even if there are not many left, they're all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What's your deepest fear? 
Don't say, don't say like the really like kind of deep one, just say kind of the fun, superficial one. What do you have? <laughs> Clowns, what, wait, what's over here? Spiders. There's too much at once, guys, take it easy. No. Rats, if, if my wife sees a rat on TV, she runs away. It's true, don't lie, it's true. She's like, shut up, Rhett. I'm going to get in trouble after this. I'm sorry. Like I said earlier, I'm the fool. Um, I'm, I don't like cockroaches. I'm scared of a roach. I will usher them at, out of my house as my daily duties. But just the thought of a crushing one and, like, the cream cheese come out, whatever that is, it's just. <laughs> right? You can relate. Some of you can relate. It scares me. It does. So we have these basic phobias, and then we have these deep-seated fears, right? We have these deep-seated fears about, will I be accepted? Will I be loved? Will I be hurt? They had some very rational fears at this moment. There's something about preaching to a religious world, especially that you would see with the prophets over and over again, where it's like, you know what? You're just going to you're gonna have to suffer. You're going to be killed. And they were going to face all this. They knew we were going to face all this. And so Jesus tells them, don't be afraid of the one that can kill the body. It's hard for us to relate this in American society because we just don't go through it. We have brothers and sisters that can literally be killed for their faith, right? So I think for us, the application is very much for us to be bold. Why? Because what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You shouldn't do that. What is someone going to say? I don't know if I want to be your friend. I'm good. That's it. Fear God. Matthew 10, 37. Another practical. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake We'll find it. It's one of those difficult scriptures. You know, as you hear this for the first time, you're thinking, like, what is Jesus saying? You can't really love your father or mother? What's going on? And I think if you've been around the Bible for a while, we know that there's a priority, right? God is the number one priority. And loving God first, you're actually able to love your family and friends and everyone else the way that you're supposed to. But we can't be mixed up in who's number one in our life. Challenge with Christianity, challenge with our faith, challenge of being sent out, if we want to be this sent out individual for God, is that it's an all or nothing premise. Let that sink in for a second. It is all or nothing. We're either all in for God or we're all in for the world and ourself. But we have to choose. Why is that important? Because the Christian walk is a challenging walk. It's a rewarding walk. It's an amazing walk. It's a blessing upon blessing for which I don't deserve and that many of you can attest in your own lives as well. But we have to start with the basis that we're either all in or we're not. He says things like this. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Worthy. We're not worthy of God if we're not willing to suffer, possibly to the point of death, for the sake of the gospel. If we grab this point, and this is where I've seen many people get tripped up, myself included in a Christian walk, because I've seen people go to church and they talk about God, and and I've done this as well, even as as a teenager. and I'm, I'm saying things about God but not understanding that you literally have to surrender your entire life first just to get started. And then from that point, 
you're going to revisit this surrender over and over again throughout the course of your life. But understanding if we want to be sent, if we truly want to stand for something, it's all or nothing. Matthew 8 mentions his kingdom cost as well. It's going back, but I didn't want to use it earlier. It talks about this teacher of the law came to Jesus, and it says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Some of those scriptures again, and you're like, Ooh, that hurts. Let the dead bury their own dead. And there, there's some you know, historical and cultural context to that. But the same point, if we're going to follow Jesus, he is number one. You have to ask yourself this question. If someone looks at my life, do they see Jesus Christ as the number one priority? It is easy, if we've been in church for a long time, to assume the affirmative. And be like, Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I do all these things in the first place. But to have the introspection and humility to ask that question over and over again. That's where the real rubber hits the road. That's where we find out whether or not we follow him the way that we should. Leaning into communion, it says this in chapter 10, verse 40. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me, anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to the one, then these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. We've had some recent hardship in our fellowship and people passing and and, and the the heaviness that comes with that. They have the reward. They're with God. If we're willing to give all that we have for this, if we're willing to be his ambassadors, he sees every little thing that we do for him. Giving a cup to a follower of Jesus, this young person, in his name, that individual will not lose their reward. If you are weary this morning, if you are heavy this morning, if you feel like, oh my gosh, this thing called Christianity can be overwhelming, I don't know if I should do it, I don't know if I can continue to do it, I feel weary doing it. God sees everything that you've done in his name. Every iota action that was done in secret, he recognizes and he honors. Jesus dying on the cross is a perfect example of that love that he has for us. It makes everything that we do meaningful. Everything that we say have value. This morning, remember something. That real love impacts real lives. Jesus' impact that he made in all those different stories was because he had a love for these people that he was nothing like. They couldn't understand him and gave pieces of himself, like little by little. This is what the kingdom's like. This is what I'm like. This is what God's like. Patient, willing to teach them because he had this real love for them. As we think about communion this morning, help us to reflect this love. Let us pray about it, contemplate on it, because make no mistake, people, we've been sent.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for all the ways you've worked in our life. You're an awesome God. You're a gentle Father. We thank you so much for your son dying on a cross for us, giving us a new kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, under his authority. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. Help us, God, to honor you this morning as we reflect on our hearts and our lives, that we can please you with our actions, that we can feel and believe and know that we are sent for you, God, to be ambassadors of your word, to proclaim this new kingdom. We all long for community. We all long for purpose. Well, here it is. It's right in front of us. Help us to embrace it, God, every single day and honor you and live a life worthy of the calling that we receive. Love you, God. Praise your son's most holy and perfect name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.